Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Legends Lounge. I'm True Withers, and with me today in the lounge, I have former Seton Hall Prep Pirate and Stanford Cardinal. You can see him repping on screen. He's a first-round pick from the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, and he's currently an analyst for the Memphis Grizzlies and co-host of the Night Court Podcast. Brevin Knight, my man, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Thank you for Seton joining Hall us. Prep. I, I, don't, I don't get too many people that take it all the way back to Seton Hall Prep, but I'm glad you did. I, I had to do my research. I did One other thing I wanted to check with. Are you East Orange or are you West yes. Orange? East okay. Orange. Okay. I, I, okay. I'm, I'll make... tell you what, I'm not. I'm not Livingston. Oh, not. okay. Why is that? Wikipedia well, said you was Livingston. Yeah, that's because early on, you know, and they, they give you those uh, little questionnaires to fill out. Mm. They say birthplace and where you were born, like what hospital. I just put right. the, oh, the hospital. I was born St. Barnabas in Livingston. So now on my everything that I started to see, was birthplace was Livingston. I'm like, oh no, sir. <laughs> Is that I, I? I did. I did not grow up in Livingston at all. I am very proud of East Orange, New Jersey. I was say, is that, is that fighting words? Like if you, yeah, bro, if, I, if I see a New Jersey resident and I, I, I give them Livingston when they actually East Orange, is that fighting words? Well, no, it's not fighting words. It just grew up a different way. Gotcha. So if, if I, you, if I, you grew up in Livingston, there was zero hard times for you. Right. <laughs> you, 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 you had you had nothing was was hard and and east orange is just it's, it is everyday living I, I call it it was a blue collar city working mm-hmm. working families uh but it shaped who i who i became i think even shaped who the father that i am now in what way i'm curious uh because you uh, I, my dad was a work to do what you have to for your family and, and i think after i got into the nba and after uh, we got married and we started to have children. I, everything that I did was towards that focus of, of how do I continue to make sure that my family's okay. My decisions I made on contracts, teams, playing, all of that was predicated on making sure that they were good. And, and I learned that from my dad, but also seeing the other fathers that mm-hmm. were in the city in, in the way that they uh, raised their family. So that's why I say that it, it had a profound effect on me. Hmm. And we'll uh, get into some of your career. We'll take a, a look back in a second, but we are currently in the middle of the playoffs. Have you been? I know you mentioned you were an analyst for the Grizzlies. You still watch the other series? Oh yeah, I, w- I watch. I watch them all. I'm okay, still, I'm, you... I'm a ba- I love. I love basketball now. Okay, good. good. That's what I want to hear. Uh, you mind if we talk the playoffs a minute? What the? Let's talk. No, that's what, good. What, pick a series. You said you watch them all. Pick a series. I watch. You... I watch. It, I watch them all. Uh, uh, I'm of course keen on his Lakers Warriors because we the, they they knocked out my Grizzlies, uh, did the Lakers, and so I, I also at the beginning of the year said the Lakers would win the championship, and so now really? I got to continue to stay on this band. I got to stay on the bandwagon of them winning the championship. So you said at the beginning of the year before they made the trades that got them, you know, before the trades, in the order? before before any of it, and 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 my reason was was probably a little bit different than. Uh, what other people may say, and mine was just because I felt that LeBron James felt disrespected the years before because of the injuries, because of not making the playoff runs, having Anthony Davis, people put the asterisk next to the championship that you won because it was in the bubble. And so I thought that it was, this was going to be a time that he was going to be healthy, give himself an opportunity to prove people wrong. And when you get players of that caliber, uh, you give them life again. You give them something to play for. And in year 20, I think he needed something to play for. And all of those grumbling, number 10, and in terms of the best players in the NBA, a lot of people had them just at 10, nine. All of that was fuel to his fire. And so I, I thought that that would be enough for him to show his greatness again. Mm. So what did you see watching him against your Grizzlies in that first round? You know, he's been hindered some by the injury. 
But what did you see? How did, how did he look physically to you? Uh, I, I thought that he was – he picked his spots. It wasn't the LeBron James of old that could dominate the entire game from beginning to end, 36, 38, 40, however many minutes he could dominate every play. I, don't, I just felt like he, he picked the spots where he could go hard for five minutes. Right. And then he would now allow Anthony Davis, allow Austin Reeves, allow Hachimura in our series, all of the others – D'Angelo Russell had the big game in game six, 31, I think, to be able to win that game. And so it, it's not him having his influence in terms of I need the ball, I'm going to do everything. But he was very, I say, strategical at when he exerted himself. And I think that's the way that he's got to continue to be. As long as Anthony Davis continues to hold up his end of the bargain, then it allows him to not have to be the all-doing LeBron James that we have come to know for longer stretches. Right, like he gets to conserve himself, like you said, kind of pick your spots. No, we, like, we need a five-minute stretch for me right now. Well, Let see, me that, and I think, I think that's when – I think this is the most he can give you is six six minutes, six minutes, where it's just all out. He dominates making plays, scoring, whether it's getting to the basket, on the defensive end, he's blocking shots. But it's all it is, the pace. The up and down. Can he continue to do up and down, up and down? And I think that's where uh, those short bursts, where I thought he did a good job in our series of picking when he was going to exert himself more and then when he had his foot off of the pedal. Right. Now, talk some from the Lakers side, from the, that Grizzly side. It was a tough loss. What did you see? What, what do you think was the undoing for the Memphis team? Uh, the, uh, defense for the, the Lakers' defense was fantastic. Uh, mm -hmm. The Grizzlies didn't have enough shot makers at the end of the day. And, and when you get into the playoffs, you got to have people that can make shots. Uh, and, and so they, they weren't able to get Luke Kennard enough looks. Desmond Bain, the first three games of the series, he struggled from the field to make shots, didn't really find his rhythm until game four. And so because of that, then it put them behind the eight ball. It forced them on the defensive, defensive side, meaning the Grizzlies, to have to be that much better to get the right. stops. Every single time. Uh, yeah. Every time. And, and, and so we – a big thing that people say you'll hear in the NBA is you need your offense to protect your defense at some point in time. And their offense wasn't protecting their defense at all. And so it allowed the Lakers to be the aggressor, to play downhill. And, and I thought, oh, you, you tip your hat. The Grizzlies, did they miss Steven Adams? Yes. Did they miss Brandon Clark? Yes. Did you have a little bit of a banged up uh, John Morant in the right hand? Yes. But it's still the Lakers' execution at the end of the day, that, that made the difference. They made the necessary adjustments. And they had guys step up when they had to. The bench guys were big in, in games. Anthony Davis was big. LeBron was big. So that they, they had the mix of enough guys uh, to be able to win the series. What do you think the Grizzlies need to do moving forward to overcome that? Like a tough first-round loss, but particularly that, that game six, they were 40-point loss. How, how did they yes. move forward from that? I, I think it, you start to get a little bit older. And I think that's one thing that, the, that they'll do this offseason is try to find some more veteran guys, but playing vets, not just guys because you have a number next to your name in terms of what the years are, but guys that can still help this team win games on the floor, but also help them with voices off the floor. And I always say it's always best to have a vet who's out there going through it with guys for them to be able to listen, not just the guy that sits over there and is going to be preaching too Only much. the and voice. Right. That's it. You, you need to have the combinations of the two. And so I think that'll be an area uh, that, that they will try to address. Also, uh, getting bigger at the wing position. The one thing that this team has lacked over the last couple of seasons, even when they were playing well and winning with the grit and grind, still didn't have a lot of size at the wing positions. It's probably been since Rudy Gay that they've had a, a big wing player uh, and so I, I, of, of that size. So to be able to find a six seven six eight wing guys, uh, that's what today's game is. So many of those guys are interchangeable. They handle the basketball. They're able to defend multiple positions. And so it would be nice to have that level of versatility. Uh, and, and then the health factor just becomes big for them. It's, it's uh, the last three seasons, they've missed major guys when you go into the postseason. You miss Tyus Jones in one season. You miss Brandon Clark now in two playoff seasons. Uh, and, and so you miss Steven Adams this year. And so it, 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 they got to figure out a way, which, which all teams, the healthier teams usually have the most success 
And this team has been playing with the next man up mentality for the last three years. What do you make of the way the, I guess the way the situation wrapped up uh, concerning Dylan Brooks, like his season ended, you know, he poking the bear, talking trash to LeBron. And then it goes out. The season ends the way it does. And he's not taking his media availability. So what, what, what do you make of, of that? Uh, I, I wish that it would have ended better for him personally, of course, uh, with the team. Uh, the one thing that you never want to take away from Dylan is, is his competitive fire, his competitive nature. That that's what makes him who he is. Uh, so got him this say, far. Exactly. And, and, and I always say all of us, all of us guys, I was the same way you play with a chip on your shoulder. There is a line that you have to have in terms of when you go too far to now affect your team in a negative way. And, and that's, that is something that all guys that play with that chip told that line. And there are going to be times where you go over it and there are going to be times where you stay within it. That is the nature uh, of the personality. And I, and I thought that for Dylan, extra spotlight was put onto a situation that didn't need extra spotlight. We already were going into the game less players. You're going into the game in a lesser situation. You didn't need to add fuel to that in any way. And then when you do do those type things, now you have to be there to back it up. And so I thought, and, and not backing it up with just scoring. So many people just right. make the game about, well, how many points you score? Well, Dylan's influence on the game was way bigger than scoring. And it's been that way since he's coming to the NBA. And mm -hmm. I thought they didn't get that influence from him because, which is the defensive plays, the energy plays, the forcing turnovers, the getting the crowd involved in the game because of those hustle plays. They missed out on that part. The shot making wasn't there, but guess what? You're going to make or miss shots. That's what this league is. We had a lot of guys not make shots, if you want to be honest, in that series. <laughs> right. But it was the, the other things that he had done so well throughout the year that they weren't able to get in that series. And I think because of the extra spotlight, now it just made it that much more of a magnifying moment. Mm. So what type of player do you think they, I guess, look to replace him with? You mentioned, you know, like a veteran guy that plays some, but you think they skew more toward wanting that shooting Wanting that ball handling, you think they want another defender in there? Kind of his role. I think you, you, you think you still gotta you still gotta look for another defender in this league. You you, you got to have guys, or you got to have someone that you can throw out there as a defensive Swiss Army knife if you want to have an opportunity and a chance to win. And so you, I, I don't think you're gonna lean heavily one side and say now all of a sudden just become an offensive team. You'll give up the points. Uh, so I, I still think that somewhere you will like a, a guy that not just a three and D guy, but this team also needs creators. So a, a mm. creative defender offensive player is what, is what I think that they would need a guy that can create his own shot. He can get a shot for somebody else. Uh, and, and I think that enhances them on the offensive end and creates space for job to be able to do what he does. But on a defensive end, it allows them to, to use their length because you have Jaron on the back line, you have Steven Adams, you throw another long length guy on the back line because in the starting lineup now, if you have with, with Dez and John Morant as your, your two starting guards, you're smallest already you small in, back court, yeah. with those two. So you don't want to have to continue to be small again at another position. And that's for rebounding purposes, with it, which has become such a huge part of the game. So I think they stay in the same vein of what Dylan was able to do, uh, but find someone that is maybe stretched that out a little bit mm. in terms of, getting a little more size at the position. Hmm. Bouncing around some of the other series, what, what's what been one of your favorite series to watch, either first round or, or uh well, round? well, no, no, I think these uh, – the, the Phoenix, I can tell you this. I, I did not think much of the Phoenix-Denver series. I didn't think it was going really? to be very exciting, very intriguing uh, at all. Uh, but it's turned out to be a, a, a really good series. And You thought it would be one like a one-side – Walks yeah, away, I, away with well, it. Well, I just didn't think it was going to be so exciting. I didn't know how exciting it would be. <laughs> um, it, 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 I, I just and I root for Denver because Mike Malone went to Seton Hall Prep and, and he's a Jersey mm. guy, and so I root hard for him and want them to win. It just I, I just never get real excited about Denver. But in watching this playoffs, I've seen another and a big part of it was because I was a Jamal Murray. I, I believe in his talent. I just didn't know was he the star that gets you over the top playing with Jokic. And to watch the way that he's performed, but just to watch Jokic, their team, it's, it's been uh, a lot more exciting than I had anticipated. But the one thing that we have said 
we kind of talked about this amongst our group throughout the playoffs is we talk a lot about the stars and rightfully so. But if you watch these playoff series, it has been the benches and the supporting cast that have been able to push teams over the top. And then I always say that it is incumbent upon teams to be able to field rosters that allow your role guys to support your stars during the game to then allow them to win it in the end of the game. And I think that's what, that's what we've been able to see. The Denver series has been very key on being able to have people step up at major times and be able to, to make plays. Shamit did it uh, for yep. Phoenix last night. Um, and if you just – you go through well, all of the series, the Miami, New York series, everybody on Miami pretty much has is, 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 is been written <laughs> yeah. off. It's supposed to be a role guy. Wasn't drafted. I think like seven or eight guys weren't seven even drafted. Seven undrafted guys on that team. <laughs> so, so, I mean – but. So just to say, the team. What makes me, what makes it feel good for me watching basketball is I think the team aspect of basketball is starting to show itself again. Mm, more so than just like the than just going get, get two three stars and fill everything it, else out. Exactly. Now Phoenix is Phoenix is a team I guess that's the closest to it at this point because the Durant trade was mm. made so late. Uh, but they're still going to need for those other guys to still have some level of support now. For uh, for Booker and and Durant, but if Booker and Durant keep playing at the level that they're playing, I mean, it makes I mean, it's going to make it very hard for anybody uh, to stop that. You and you said you picked the Lakers before they, so you sticking with them? Like you think they come out of they beat the Warriors? Or you, you could see them beating whoever Suns or Nuggets. Who, I, I I think that I think that with the changes, it makes it it makes it even more re, more reasonable that they can win a championship. I think they they added another. Uh, you like, like to say you, you have those guys that are I don't know guys, and D'Angelo <laughs> Russell to me is that I don't know. You you you, you want to write them off and say I right, gonna do this wrong, do this, and then thirty one in game six. He proved you wrong, yeah. Right, and then he comes out and in these first couple of games, big games at home when you need him. And so he's 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 always been that guy. He's like I don't know what he's gonna do, but you gonna do, you gonna do something. You got you you know what the talent is, and and so. Uh, to be able to see him and just the, the experience that Hachimura continues to get, Reeves gets. Uh, and, and if they can continue to be able to get away with the non-Anthony Davis minutes and rebound well, score, and continue to run, uh, then I still, I still think that they, they have enough uh, to still win a championship. Mm. That was West out east. Who are you looking at? Like we saw the number one seed Bucks go down early, first round to the Heat. Now we got Celtics and Sixers. Like whoever wins this series takes over home court advantage for the rest of the playoffs. So right. what, uh, what? What are you thinking about these Eastern series? Well, we, the uh, the Celtics 76ers series. It's it's been fun to see James Harden get back mm. to James Harden. And, Renaissance, and I, yeah. Yeah, but I was also happy to see him not be so passive and take the back seat to Embiid. And also the, the subtle adjustment for the Sixers were more time with Harden on the floor without Embiid. And I thought that's what really pushed him to be the aggressor that, that they saw in game one in Boston when Embiid didn't play. Right. So in game two, it was almost like he reverted back to games two and three. So, okay, let me give you the ball. And then let it me became, defer, again, defer, like, defer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it was like, no, no, now we need James. And so it was, it's been – Nice to see those two start to play off one another. My boy, our boy, De'Anthony Melton is playing mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic, Mr. Do Something. And so uh, that to watch that series and watch that battle and, and to see two teams that will play physical, it's always nice to see physical, get after it defensively, but they have really good offensive plays and players mm-hmm. that then allow you to still see some type of flow to the game. I always say, that basketball does just scoring a lot of points doesn't make for a good game. What makes for a good game is if the other team is playing good D, but you execute well enough and still score. And conversely, you go down the other way and, and that battle and that happens. And so I think what we're seeing in these Eastern Conference games, are, are really throughout the playoffs in general, is a lot more physical play. Uh, but mm-hmm. just the, the ability of guys to be able to be two-way players, even if you're not thought of as being a two-way player. You see guys starting to step up that level of intensity on both ends of the floor. Mm. Now, you've played in playoffs multiple times. How difficult is that for a guy like, okay, uh, I, I may not be seen as this, 
you know, offensively strong or defensively strong player. But if I'm going to play some playoff minutes, my team needs me to do that. How tough is that as a player? Well, I think it's the, the biggest reason why you get those guys that have success as they move forward and teams that have success because those are the teams and individuals that are able to make the transition from what regular season basketball was and what the playoff basketball was. And I wish I would have had more experience and had a longer time to see what it was like as a player. Uh, I've seen it and experienced it for longer as an analyst being uh, with this Grizzlies team. But, but the one thing that I do notice is the importance of every possession, but the importance of every player. It's not just the possession. It is do the players understand the importance of the possession. We can all talk all right. about it, but it only takes one to not do it. And if the one doesn't do it, then it all doesn't work. And so uh, I, I, I enjoy watching that string continue to happen on both ends of the floor. The, the, the help defense, when it becomes a playoff, becomes absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you see guys, the ball's pass. You see the next guy stepping to get back to his. Right. Whereas in the regular yeah. season, yeah, you, in the regular <laughs> season, that pass is made, I'm staying with my guy. He shoots it, all right. We box right. out. There's no more of that now. So, right. so the level of basketball and, and to, see these, to see these players and also these coaches be able to get it across to, to the players, how it has to happen is always fun basketball. Hmm. Now, with last series in the East, We've got Heat Knicks going on. You think either the winner of that can challenge Boston Philly? Like, do we have a wide open East, or is it kind of feel like the consensus? What I've seen is whoever wins Boston Philly probably advances through yeah, this. What, what, what do you make? I, I, I'm gonna tell you one. I I just can't bet against Eric Spoelstra. If the if the mm -hmm. Miami Heat are to win, I, I, it, there is there's something special about what he's able to do as a head coach, and, and a big part of it is I look over at his bench. And I and I see Quinn Cook. I mean, not, I see not not Quinn. Uh, uh, what's Quinn, uh, Quinn from? Uh, oh, uh, Chris Quinn. Uh, Chris, Chris Quinn. Quinn. Chris, Chris Quinn. Quinn. Karan Butler. You look over. I see uh, uh, guys. Sorry, play with me in, in Charlotte. Malik. Uh, why am I feeling? Why Malik? Oh, uh, big guy. I, I yes. Can see his face yeah. Too. Pick yeah. and pop. Why yeah. in the heck am I? This this what he gonna get. He gonna get on you. We, oh, listen, <laughs> Malik Allen. Malik, Malik Allen, Allen. Malik, do, not, okay. yeah, do not get mad at me because that's <laughs> I, I call him a like because I, 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 it was a, he was my pick and pop guy. Um, and then you have Udonis Haslam, who was their player that's still there. Didn't even mention Anthony Carter sits right behind the bench. Mm -hmm. So to look over and see how many guys that formerly played the game that have been in all those situations that can continue to support Spolstra, but that can those guys because the, the guys that need to listen at some point. The head coach, he does what he does. It's the assistants right. that are day-to-day. -day. And so mm -hmm. to see them be able to get that group to still play with the seven undrafted guys, with all of the, what they shouldn't have, not big enough, don't have this, lose Oladipo, lose Hero, Kyle Lowry coming off the bench, playing on one leg. Like, why should they even be anywhere in any of these series? But uh, I think a big part of it is the culture that they have, that coaching staff has been – so good and so I think to watch them go against a New York Knicks team who I'm so happy for the Knicks to be relevant again uh being back from the east coast it's, it's so many family members and my best friend who has been at, at there has been a lover of the Knicks since I can remember <laughs> who continues to, every year he was just a I just used to call him the next year guy because that's all we would do by we'll get him next we'll be, year we'll yeah. be talking about next year and so to see them be to be relevant again is is really big for uh, it's big for basketball, but it's it's big for everybody back in the Northeast. So just happy to see them uh, competitive again. And and if Jalen Brunson can come up with some big games, uh, and, and uh, they still the thing is they they have home courts and they played extremely well there. So, uh, but I expect to see another I expect to see another knockdown drag them out battle. And and Jimmy Butler has just I mean he's he's such a Un underrated star mm. in our game. And to go back to Dylan Brooks, I would say Dylan Brooks can almost liken his game to what Jimmy Butler has done. He Dylan is, is, is a good mid-range player. Jimmy, Jimmy Butler never shot threes. Yeah. It was all mid-range, physical basketball, stay in that, and then start to shoot the threes. Think that he's a guy that you could almost pattern where his game mm. and what his career can look like moving forward.
if you go that more verse, just shooting the threes, even if you're not hitting them at the higher clip, kind of work your game a different way. Exactly. Forget those threes, man. Like become become effective all the time at the thing you do extremely well. That's what I say. Limit the things that might might not be my strength. Maximize what is your strength. How did you come to that mindset? Is that something like you've always had, or was it a coach or some or a team Man, when, situation somewhere somewhere put that in your head? When you when you look down and you see five ten, a hundred and seventy five <laughs> pounds, it's hundred and seventy pounds, your your mind is as much of a weapon as my physical attributes. And so mentally, I this has been something that I've had to have that war at that fight from the day I was started playing basketball. I've always been the smallest. I haven't been the best scorer, haven't been the best shooter. Uh, what I was, I thought what I did a good job was I affected winning. And so I think that's where, that's where that mindset came in was, yeah, I know I have deficiencies, but the things that I do well can, can make sure that this team can be good. And so I just kind of focus on those, continue to work on the things you don't do well. For sure. But, but maximize and continue to push those things that you do do well. Hmm. So we talked some playoffs. Let's, We'll jump to uh, to your career. Can you tell me about your welcome to the NBA moment? Welcome to the NBA. I mean, of course, the, the walking across the stage, shaking David Stern's hand. Uh, that was what we, as players, you always, you, you that, that's a dream. And this entire NBA basketball at this level was just a dream. Not wasn't a goal of mine. The goal was to go to college for free somewhere. Mm-hmm. That was the goal with basketball. And so this was all just, an icing on the cake for me. And then the next moment was uh, to walk into the locker room and see Sean Kemp and Brevin Knight <laughs> right next to each oh. other. And, and I would go from yelling at the TV, at the rain man for the move, the dunks, the moves and his versatility, because I think he didn't get enough credit. People gave him the credit for the high flyer that it was, mm-hmm. but not enough credit for how great of a ball handler, the assist, the playmaking, uh, the, the perimeter shooting. Like Sean Kemp was before his time in the way that he played the game and was still above the rim with mm-hmm. athleticism. And so to be able to walk into that locker room and be sitting next to him, it was like, oh, I'm for real in the NBA. Right. When did you feel like you belonged? How long did that take for you? Like, okay, I, I belong here. Uh, I felt like I belonged my junior year in college. Okay, tell me about uh, and, that. And I, and I think it was a lot that I had to do with had a chance to finally play some uh, more international basketball. Um, and then my senior year, uh, I got an opportunity to play against the uh, USA team. And that was with John Stockton's Dream Team 2. And we okay. played against yeah. them in, in Detroit. Um, and we, we had the game, we had the game one. I think we ended up losing by like five or seven points, but we were up double digits at the half. I was playing well. It was, it was, it Who was, was on your me. team. Who was playing with you? So that was me, Tim Duncan, Paul Pierce, Chauncey Billups. Uh, I remember Corey Carr who played at Texas mm-hmm. Tech. Uh, he was on that team. Uh, Sam Oakey, a big jumping kid from Wisconsin, was on that, was on our team. Uh, who was it? Shea Seals. Shea Seals had Shea a great was. game. It was, it was his coming out party. And I think, I think he went back to school. Uh, something happened while he didn't go on the draft, but that was his coming out party that game. Lewis Bullock was on that team from Michigan. Uh, we had we had a good team. We had we had a lot of we had a lot of we had some good players, but we just played hard. And I don't think they expected. They didn't expect <laughs> right. that they were going to get what they got because it wasn't the household names really at that time. Like those those names those names are. I just mentioned to you are not names that right talented guys, jump, but not like but not the names that jump exactly names. that they're gonna <laughs> jump off the page and say, oh yeah, oh oh yeah, oh, uh, not gonna be that. But we just played well and we played hard, and it just at the end they were just I mean it was the dream team. I mean Scotty Pippen and and and, and you're playing against Barkley and Shaq and David Robinson, and so at that and they they turned it up one more level and we just we weren't able to win. But that from that moment I knew that I was an NBA player. I just had to have another opportunity to show it. The same way I thought I was a college player, I just needed a chance. And Stanford gave me that chance, and I made the most of it. The Cavaliers gave me a chance and then made the most of it from that point on. Now, we talked from East Orange. East Orange to Stanford, that's a long way. 
Yeah, that's a long way. That's, that's that's coast to coast. Yeah. So how how did you end up uh, out far west after being from uh, well, East? Quick, one? quick. Number one, my mom and dad w- would not allow us to play basketball without good grades. That was number one. And good grades were B plus and up, not B. The great grades. B. Yeah. yeah, it was. It, it wasn't just enough. And 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 I give them a lot of credit because both of them went to college, and I think because of it. Uh, that was, they understood that that was the way that we were going to have to go, me and my brothers and I. And, and so continued to do well in school, uh, played basketball in the summer. Stanford was really out to see someone else play. His game got canceled. They came up to Northern Jersey where I was playing. They saw me play. Coach asked, Is, what were my grades? Could they recruit me? They told him I could. From there, they, they just started recruiting me. And that way, went out on a visit. Mike Montgomery said, I got one scholarship for you or the other guy was Dan Earl that went to Penn State. He was, uh, he played, he was uh, from, he's from South Jersey. Uh, and I went in the other room and said, Ma, they said they got one scholarship, I'm taking it. And I took the scholarship. <laughs> and to this day, I tell Mike Montgomery, literally had no idea who I was. Didn't really? know what I, but knew that I was fast and that the rest of the guards in the Pac-10 at that time were all quick and they were not able to keep up. And but because he didn't know, they also brought in the first junior college transfer point guard that they had ever done in their entire uh, Stanford career at basketball athletics because he didn't know who right. I was. But by the time we started basketball, like we played all the way up until school started, because school at Stanford starts the end of September. So we played for the whole month. By the time school started, that kid had left and went to another school because I was kicking on his behind and it, he wasn't going to start. Right, as a freshman. As a freshman, I was I was determined. I, I'm I was I was a a hole. I was very I was I was uh, I stayed to myself because it was I had one goal, which was graduate, make enough connections so I can get a good job. Probably go back and work in the boys and girls club, not the NBA. But when Jason Kidd told me my freshman year that I could be a pro after playing against him, it changed my entire mindset and outlook. Uh, for what college was going to mean. I was going to ask, yeah, when did that shift? Because you said junior years when you played against the Dream Team, but even you got to be pretty good to even be in that company, you know. So right. when yes. freshman year, Jason Kidd, he's at Cal. We played him the first time, played him the second time, and after the second time, the game was over. And he was like, man, you could be a pro. And I had never heard that before in my life. I had never heard anybody talk about me being a pro. I was like, oh, you may go to college. You did some good things in high school. Y'all won a bunch of state championships, but he's five, five, eight, 140 pounds. It's not, and to go there and for him to say that, uh, it, it, it was the first time in my life I ever worked out with basketball. I never mm. worked out with basketball. I just played every day. Like we just go to, I lived across the street from the park. Because you love the game. Yeah, we, we listen, where we from, we, there was no going to gym. I never played in the gym until we played middle school. <laughs> college, we, played middle right, school yeah. game. we played a middle school game. Like we played games in gyms, of course, but no, I never played in the gym. It was always outside. So go to the park, sun come up, we go home. When the street lights come home, we go back home. And so I never worked out, never no trainer. No, it was just play, play, play. And then he told me that and it was just workout, workout, play, workout, workout, play. It, cha- it, it changed my mindset. Have you ever told Jason Kidd that? Does he like? Does he know this story? Does he remember this? Have you told this to no, him before? I've, I don't, I've never told him. Uh, we always see each other, and, I, and it's always good to see. We talk about other stuff, but no, mm. I've never. I, ne- I don't think I've ever told him that that his his words were the inspiration to me doing what I did. Because this had to have been his what the year this, be- he before he went what second in the draft, I think. Exactly. So exactly right before right because that would have been it was my friend his sophomore year. Uh, and then, and then that was, and then he went, he went, I was glad he left because I needed to be able to win. He was too doggone big to guard all the time. <laughs> but he was letting you know you, I see something in you. Right. It's almost, it's almost as if it was a little bit of a, a, a okay, now I, here's a pack 10 for you now. Mm. Like I, I, I dominated it. I did what I was going to do and it's time for me to move on. But Hey, you got an opportunity. What you going to do with it? Right. What else? Did, what do you remember about the recruiting process? Like, if it wasn't Stanford, who were some of the other? No, it wasn't. It wasn't long. Well, I was gonna say, was, was there a process? There, there wasn't a process. It was Manhattan College, Fran Fischella, 
was mm-hmm. the head coach there. And I met Fran uh, a couple of years, my junior year in high school, because he recruited Ira Bowman to go to Providence. And so that's why we met. And he was assistant. He was like, if I ever become a head coach, you're going to run my program. And it happened to be my senior year, he became the head coach in Manhattan, came back, gave me the basketball, and was like, it's your program. Uh, so I was like, cool. I mean, I, I, I'm not at home, but if I need to get home, I can I'm get close home. enough. Yeah. I'm close enough. The other one was SMU. And people were like, SMU, what, what in the heck are you going to do there? And that was because John Shoemate was the head coach. Uh, and he's a, a, and so knowing all of John Shoemate's history and, and with my dad knowing that that became uh, another, another school was like, oh, this could be, maybe we could do that. And then when Stanford came, it was, it was a no-brainer. Like I didn't even, right. I didn't even visit the other schools because uh, you when, knew. Yeah, yeah. It was it Fran Fraschella called me the day that the day that he knew that I was going on a visit, and he knew that they were fully interested. He called and was like, "Well, Brevin, I, the basketball will be here, but you would be dumb to take this basketball over there, basketball." Right. That's. I, did you get a lot of honesty like that from a coach? I feel like most coaches, you yeah. know, they try to spin it. No, come here and be our guy. Well, I think uh, he and I have for he he and I have forged such a an authentic relationship uh, more than just what I could do for him as a player, mm-hmm. and I think he saw that that was a much better opportunity for me, the individual, the school in and of itself, but also the stage to be on in, in order to play basketball uh, was a bigger one than what he could offer, and so that's why I say we there are those people that you have even if they are brief run-ins that have impacts on your life and another person an impact on my life because he easily could have had some other spin mm-hmm. for me to still be able to, to go to Manhattan at that time. Yeah, so he could have promised you, I'll give you 30 shots, I'll give you A, B, Whatever you want, you, exactly. Yeah. You need somebody to come to school with you, we'll get them to come too also, whatever whatever you need. But it, it, it wasn't that way and it was a it was the right choice for me. Hmm. That's a different... I mean, completely different ball game now. Do you think that would change? Like, if you were 18 now with the, you know, there's NIL options, there's overseas options, there's G League, there's overtime elite, stuff like that. Do you think any of that would have played into your mind? Or maybe your parents' minds is who I should be asking. Maybe they're the ones that say, no, nah, he's, yeah, he's going to he, – He's going to go – exactly. It, it still <laughs> would have been the same thing because uh, I think they would have – they would have at least been able to have the foresight to see what – being able to say Stanford every time I say it, what it means, the right. weight that it carries. Um, and like I told you, the NBA wasn't what we were going to college for. And so I think it would probably be the same at this point. It wouldn't be what I was going to college for, but it would be the options you want to have. I want the option to be able to go to Stanford, to be able to go to Princeton. But if I'm really good, to be able to go to one of your upper echelon basketball schools and do that. And so – uh, it, it, it was, uh, like I said, it was just, it was just the right place for me at the right time. And I think I would make a similar decision. I say that now, that somebody put some type of contract now in front of you that says, <laughs> well, well, we're offering you to pay you this much. Right. And today, then, and right then, now, today, today right yeah. now, this is, this is what we can give you. Then now your conversations have to become different conversations, sure. which is just a reality of where we are. But, but I, I would then still hope that we would make what was still what seemed like the best decision for me at that point. Mm-hmm. So you talked about Jason Kidd saying, you know, you're an NBA player. You make the play against the dream team. So in your head, you're like, okay, I can play in the NBA. At what point are you thinking like, okay, I'm a first round pick. I'm a top 20 pick. I can. Uh, I, I thought as I went, as the junior year went through and we had to talk to, was I going to leave my junior year or was I going to go back? And I was like, I'm, I'm going back for sure because there's no way. I promised my mom I would graduate. No way I'm going to go back to school if I leave and right. start playing in a league. No way I'm going to do it. So right. then that season came, and then I felt like throughout that year that I was the best point guard in the country. And so when, when you have that feeling and then you have the stats, your team is playing well, and we finally make it to the Sweet 16 further than the, the team had gone since 1942. Uh, and so that those, those things – all to me felt like this is a pro, but in the back of my mind, I still had, I'm 5'10", 175 pounds. But at that point, 5'10", 170. And so no matter what I was doing on the floor, no matter who I was doing it against, I still knew that right. those questions would still be there. 
And, and so uh, it, it was, but it was nothing else I could do. I had exhausted my four years. I mm-hmm. thought I'd given people enough to see from what the player that I came in as, the player that I was leaving as, and then just left it in the Lord's hands from there and just was, was blessed enough to be invited to the green room, sat there for a while, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> was finally called and it was fun. What do you remember about the whole, I guess the whole draft process? Like, again, it's, it's changed, you know, night and day, uh, how they do it now. But what do you remember about the whole process? Uh, it, it, you know, it was, it was a traveling thing at that point. So we were in Charlotte. It was, it was crazy that it was in Charlotte. And then we ended up, my family, we ended up living in Charlotte for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, it, and so that was, it was kind of, that was a, a funny twist to it. But it, the, the biggest thing uh, is my suit is what I remember because this was, <laughs> this was at the beginnings of, this was, you know, people send you suits and, and, and that thing. And remember I told you I'm from East Orange. We ain't do tight. That's not what we did, bro. Yeah. I, I was I was Tim straight to I, I mean I would wore Tim's to my wife's like I think we gotta get out the Tim's and baggy jeans. We have a sit down talk about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we I think it's time for us. And then we look at some pictures now. We got two kids. I still was jeans, Tim's. I still Tim's and baggy jeans. And so uh, they sent a uh, boss sends me Hugo boss sends me a suit. And so we take it. I'm cool. I'm like man, somebody sent me something free. This is this what's up? Right, I'm I'm out here. What we go to put it on? I'm like, oh no, <laughs> this ain't for BK. This is not my. What's style. wrong I'm with talking, the suit, bro? I'm talking about. I mean, I'm. No. I'm talking about, I'm, what? <laughs> I mean, if it was, the, if I would have went to David Starr to give him a hug, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm talking about. <laughs> suit oh, just this off. Rip. The whole thing. I would have just had to do. Thanks, Dave. I would have hit him with one of those. Just so, staying straight so, up. <laughs> that was so. It's like, well, the only good thing you just regular size. We had to run to Macy's real quick. We go to Macy's. So, bro, I'm a, my suit for the draft is a Macy's suit off the rack. That off the rack, bro. No alterations, bro. That's too big. <laughs> so I went from can't give you a hug to you can put half another person in this suit with me. <laughs> but that was probably more your your element, though, right? Like you want was, the, the more good. fabric. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought to me, I felt like it was good. Looking back on it now, it's like that, bro. You <laughs> right. probably could have brought that in a little bit, though. Just so, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, it ain't got to go all the way, but a smidge. <laughs> <laughs> That's my my biggest. And then just having my family there, man, was it was cool. My uh, my my wife now at that time she was pregnant at that time, and so uh, it, it was uh, it, it was it was fun. It was a good time. Did you have like around you drafted by Cleveland, but like did you know? Like did anybody give you a promise or were you like, I'm going in this range, I'm around these cities, or was it all just I find was, out when we find out? Yeah, man, it was it, there were uh the talks of, of Cleveland. Um and they had the two picks. They had 13 and they had 16. Uh the Clippers was another team that, that was there, and I think they were at 14. And when the Cavs drafted Derek Anderson at 13, the Clippers came up and my agent was like, hey, we made, and I was like, when I told you to tell them, they don't have to draft me. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to go there. Like, you don't want to go to the Clippers? No. Why not? No, I, not. It was because it was a, it was a dysfunctional organization mm. and the taxes were high. The cost of living was high. I was like, why, why do I want to not make as much money as I can make and be in a bad situation to start my career? Right. Not what I want to do. I, I'd rather drop down. And that's when we kind of had the, the thought that Cleveland would definitely take us at 16. Derek Anderson, I, I don't, they weren't expecting to still be there at 13. That was, the, that was their steal to be able to get him. 16, I thought they felt like they were comfortable that they can get me at 16. Right. Uh, and, and it worked out perfectly. I was – I mean, it, it was – I couldn't have asked for a better start to my career with a better organization and team at that time. Mm. I was going to say, like, you, you walked on to Stanford. You're starting as a freshman. You get to the NBA. It's a Cavs team that just won 40-something games. Like, you weren't going into, a, you know, a 20-win team where you might get to you get the keys immediately. You're walking into yeah. – was it Mike Fratello? Was that your first Yeah, coach? Fratello. Yeah, that's still my guy to this day. And, and – but the one thing that gave me promise was they had traded Terrell Brandon, uh, who was who was there. They had traded him to Minnesota. That's the way that we were able to get 
Sean Kemp, that whole deal uh, okay. happened. Okay. And that's okay. how Kemp ended up in Cleveland. So that meant that here was another opportunity. There, was, there wasn't, and we think we started the year thinking Bob Sewer was going to mm-hmm. play at the point position. Uh, but that didn't work. And then we go to play, and it's like, what? It's such a small world. My backup was Scotty Brooks. And so oh, now wow. to, to, to see, and it was funny for me because I used to tell Scott Brooks, I used to play with him when he was on the Houston Rockets on the video game. When yeah, NBA younger, draft, yeah. NBA, heck yeah. I mean, Scotty yeah. Brooks used to come off the bench, knock down shots all night. Light it up. And, so, and now here he is, I'm playing with him. That was another NBA moment for me to be like, damn, mm. the dude I was, I was, you was my secret weapon. <laughs> and now, and now, and now, now we teammates. Rocking. Now we rocking together. And so uh, that, that was, it was, uh, it, it was fun to do that. And then Fratello just gave us a chance. Like he, he, mm. he was like, well, we drafted you. I'm going to give you a chance to see, can you do it? And I, I always said, if you give me an opportunity, same thing I tell my kids. You always want to be ready for opportunities. You never know when they come. When they knock on that door, you better be ready to open you need to be because you, it might not knock the next time. And so might not knock ever again. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. So this he came and he knocked, and I'm like, bro, I'm just I'm not letting it go. And so it was it was a good start for me. Hmm. Why is Fratello still your guy? Like I hear guys, you know, they have good experiences, bad experiences with head coaches, but. This long later, he's still your guy. Why? What? What about that connection? He's a Jersey guy, also. And oh, so okay. we, we go, we go far back, and so and I and the thing is, I understand Mike, it, 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 the the Italian fire that he has. I, I've seen it. I grew up right next to it. I tell people, right. Bloomfield, New Jersey, was right next to East Orange, and that was it was a, a lot of Italians in that area. So I, I it was. It's familiar. I, I know. I know exactly how to how to accept. You gonna yell? You gonna curse? You're going to berate, you're going to do all of that, but at the end of every day, you're going to kiss you on both cheeks and say, I'll see you tomorrow. Right. As long so as you I understand need. that. Yeah. No, you know what? You always knew where he stood. That's mm-hmm. what I want. I don't want the guy that we think, I don't really know what you're thinking. I don't really, I, I'd rather at least I know exactly what we're, what I'm working with. Like, this good or working you can with, hate me, but I'd rather know it, that off I, the jump. I yeah. want to know it. This is, this is what we, this the, the here go the cards. Right. Now you, now you figure out how to play this hand. I'm giving, these are cards. Figure out how to play the hand. Too many times it's just, you don't get no cards. It's just hands, here we go. Right, you find out when you find out, yeah. There you go, and then that's when, that's when, I think that's when relationships sour is when that happens. But if I'm up front and tell you this is what I'm thinking, you may not agree with it, but you have to at least respect what I'm saying that I came to you with it. Right, right. So you had your, you know, you join a, a winning team, you make the playoffs, and then second year is the lock. It was it your second Lockout. year is the lock. It derailed everything. Yeah, what I feel like I've I've heard multiple players say that. What do you remember about the the lockout? Well, it it changed my it changed our careers. Um, and, and I think because we did have the good first season, and we were all excited because we were young. We had four mm-hmm. rookies in Kent, pretty much that was starting me that were playing me, Derek Anderson, Cedric Anderson, Jordan Ogalskis was was Ogalskis. Mm-hmm was considered a rookie because his first year he broke his foot, didn't play the entire year. So he was a rookie. And then we had Kemp. And then we had good vets around. Wesley Person was there. Mark Bryant was there. Bob Soar was there. Vitaly Potapenko was there with us. V was great. For, like, so we had what we needed. And then we had Henry James. We call him Big Game James. Who people, it was an old, he was old vet, shoot the ball. I mean, we had all of the elements to continue to move forward. And Danny Ferry was on a team who the people at Cleveland at that time didn't like at all, but was still <laughs> basketball-wise. <laughs> it was good. We always knew when Danny was coming in the game at a home game when the boom would start when he was walking to the table. <laughs> so it must be Danny. Uh... Danny must be coming in with somebody. But it, but it was – but we uh, – but it, it was – and then the lockout happened. And once the lockout happened, uh, people – you weren't able to work out the same way you know, Kemp changes in, in terms of his physical change happens with him. But I think there are also a lot of organizational change going on. And that was my first time understanding how the front office and organization can also affect the team. Whereas a lot of times people think that these are separate entities. Oh, these people do what they do and the team does what it does. But that's not – the synergy between the two is why – teams have long-standing success. 
San Antonio Spurs? Why they why were they successful so long? The Miami Heat. Why there are teams that you have distinct cultures of how they play, what they do, the players that they have. That's what that's what usually gives you. They all moving in one accord. Exactly, and that's what that's what leads to success. And, and so started to have the rumblings in the front office, and then once that started, it was just a trickle down to to the team, and then. We started trading pieces, right. and then before you knew it, we, we all were going somewhere else at that time. And so, but the lockout was was definitely the start. I thought if there was no lockout, we had positive momentum. You didn't have to have all of the questions and different things of that nature. I thought the lockout allowed for other questions and for some people to weasel their way in. So, what did you, as a rookie coming out? You know, one year you have you know some routines, but. Like you said, if y'all can't have contact with the team or go to the facilities, what is your what's your day to day look like once you find out? We tried to have these little play like there would be certain cities. Guys would say, we're, "Well, we're going to play for a week or so in different cities," or you lived in a city where guys were already playing a lot. And so, for in Cleveland, surprisingly, so there were a lot of guys that that were there in Cleveland. Like Oakley would always come back. Tyrone Hill was still there playing. All of us will still be there and play. So we had an opportunity to play. Kemp didn't stay in Cleveland, and he went back He went back home. And so uh, that was our way to stay in shape. I would go back to Jersey uh, and, and play back in Jersey as, as much as I could back there because I knew where guys would be running. And so it was just a matter of trying to find where you could get into play. And then we were doing so many meetings back in New York. That kind of also – when we have our meetings, they would also set up runs and workouts so guys could could, could continue to work out in that way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because you couldn't go to the gym. There was no right. there was no no going to any NBA facility of any nature. And I feel like that definitely what you said, like you see the guys who stay committed to that and some of the guys that didn't. And like you said, it kind of stops your positive momentum if you were you know, rolling in a certain direction. Yeah, and that, it really hurt our it hurt our team, hurt our organization. And like I said, from there, then you start selling off pieces. I think Vitaly and Derek Anderson were the beginning of it in terms of the big pieces. And then that, after that, then myself, Sean left, and then, so then it, it kept going from there. Now, what do you remember about getting – you got traded a couple of times, but the first time, what do you remember about that – I guess that, like, process? Like, how did you find out? What do you remember? The the trade, that was during the year I went from Cleveland to Atlanta. Uh, and, and it was something that we, we had known was going to happen because the friction between myself, uh, the head coach at that time was Randy Whitman, who this don't get, don't, didn't get along with, uh, and our GM at that time. I, I didn't get along with them at all. Uh, and so we knew. What was the uh, disconnect? These, uh, disconnect in that I didn't like the way that they took over. That was a disconnect. And I didn't like the way that the, the change in the regime, how it happened. Right, the way um, because it went we, yeah. the, that that the, Exactly. Um, and so uh, I, I had the, those feelings never really allowed me to uh, be receptive to them. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess that's the best way. That's the best way, <laughs> the, the best way to put it. So uh, halfway through the year, we realized that it, it just – it, it wasn't, wasn't a fit. Yeah. It wasn't, and so they the trade to Atlanta, and then after I went to Atlanta, I knew that was just that was a stopgap in terms of where your career goes from here. That mm-hmm. the go the move to Atlanta was just we got to go somewhere. Like we got to do something at this point. This um, is temporary, yeah. Yeah, it, but but I knew it was temporary, and then we got a chance to come to Memphis, and when they moved from Vancouver to mm-hmm. the Grizzlies uh, to Memphis and started that franchise, and we had we knew it wasn't going to be good, but it was fun. New franchise here in the city, fighting to get some respect because the, the university was 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 everything and still means everything to the city of Memphis. But now the Grizzlies have uh, have immersed themselves into absolutely into the, 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 the fabric of this city. And so now they run neck and neck. But uh, that was good. And I tell a lot of people, like, you play for nine teams. I'm like, yeah, but I played for four teams in one year. And so that, that, that right. makes up for a lot of my 12 years. A lot of my nine teams uh, in one season. Uh, so that, but you get used to it. Uh, and, and for that year, it was, as I told you, you make decisions for the betterment of your family. That was the last year of my deal. And I knew in the last year of your deal, 
you got to play somewhere. You got to at least right. show somebody, somebody to just for that say, next team. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We, we want him to be on our team, and so that's what I took. I took that year to say this isn't a good situation. So I went from Memphis to Phoenix, Phoenix to Washington. Uh, TJ Ford unfortunately hurt his neck that year, mm-hmm. and I went to Milwaukee so they could play to play in the playoffs in Milwaukee. Uh, and then after that, uh, it, it was. Uh, it, that gave me the chance to go to Charlotte to have the workout in Charlotte and then have the three three of uh, my best years in Charlotte and then just finish out the last two when I knew that I was done. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple more won't keep you uh, too much longer, but what was that like playing with the ex- – you played with Charlotte their first year, right, and yeah. as the expansion Bobcats. What do you remember about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, then as, as uh, it was a little bit different than starting the Grizzlies – um, because there was a level of animosity towards the NBA in Charlotte, with the really? way the Hornets, yeah, because the way the Hornets oh, left, the, with the way with Shin and that ownership situation, yep. and, and why they had to even leave Charlotte in the first place, um, and so you had a lot of people that just did not want NBA basketball. I mean, we would be doing events, uh, we would bag groceries at the grocery store, just anything. Right. People would be like, "We don't want y'all. Don't bag my groceries." Like. Oh, just that uh, because we don't support the NBA. I'm like, man, y'all are that serious about this? Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, that's this, this deep seated. Totally, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is a totally different uh, organization. It's not even <laughs> right. the same name. There's nobody. Same nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And so, uh, yeah, that that was it was tough to get it started, but it was another fan. Bernie Bickerstaff did a fantastic job, uh, and, and I, I don't think you could have asked for a better inaugural coach. Mm-hmm. For your for your franchise than he because he understood the off the court the on the court the ins and outs and he also understood how to talk to the players to get the most out of us to compete every night when we knew we had no chance of winning right. uh, when we stepped on the floor. I guess how do you what do you like to hear from a coach? It's like we know talent wise we're at a disadvantage. What keeps you competing for a coach? In that situation, no, he comes into work every day. Uh, he he didn't he didn't have the mentality that we weren't good enough. I'm just saying that as as a player has been around looking at the roster, <laughs> we just didn't have the talent to be able to play against everybody else. That's right. that's the norm with an expansion. With that, yeah, like it, for sure. You don't expect anything but that, and so, uh, but that wasn't Bernie's mentality, the staff's mentality at all. And JB Bickerstaff was mm-hmm. his assistant, and that is and that was his start in the NBA at that time, and so. For JB to see that even in a losing situation, how you conduct yourself, what may be a losing situation, turn out to be one, but how you conduct yourself through it, I think was an impact on why he has been the successful coach that he has been. And so uh, I think that Bernie was great. Uh, and that, that the entire, the organization I thought just did a good job of really helping us to be better players, but also helping us to figure out where you were going to go because none of us were going to be long-standing there. Right. Except for Gerald, I mean, myself, Gerald Wallace, uh, from that beginning groups were probably our longest standing one. Gerald continued to go on from there, but uh, Okafor hung on until mm-hmm. uh, being the first pick of it. But it, it, we all knew that this was a stepping stone probably for you to have to go something do something next. else. And that's that. And, and I thought Bernie did a good job of giving everybody that made the team. He gave them that realistic chance for you to be seen by other people and, and give that chance. So it, it was uh, it turned out to be, like I said, three of three of the best years of my career individually. Hmm. Now you played a couple more years after that, retired in 2009. Yeah, correct. How soon did you know you wanted to go into analyst work? Because you got into a pretty you kind of jumped back right into, into the saddle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I did a, a, a NBA uh, players association. They do uh, programming in the summers. Okay. And in the summer, when I started to get to like my seventh season, uh, when I when that was in that you don't know what's going to happen time, I started telling myself I need to start looking at what I want to do moving forward. And so I started taking advantage of the programs. They have programs in everything that you want to do, continuing education, if you want to go into business, if you want to go into – uh, the media part in terms of uh, the sports side, uh, with real estate, whatever you want to do, they have every summer they have programs. And so I took a couple of them. I did the broadcast program. Uh, it was the first year that they had it. 
Uh, and, and I loved it. I, I, I love the calling game side. Like I love to be able to teach the game, still have fun, uh, and still be in the moment of the game, but I'm not playing the game. Like I feel like I'm a part of the game, but I'm not exerting the energy. I'm not taking the hits. Uh, I, I'm, uh, the, the outcomes don't weigh on me before and after <laughs> the games. Yeah, right. And so uh, it, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was something that I, I knew that, that I could enjoy. And then luckily I've just, again, those opportunities presented themselves and I've just been ready from them. So what's next for Brevin? Like you enjoying the analyst role? Would you think you like training, coaching, there's so many oh, no. different no, steps. No, 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 <laughs> no, why, no, why not? I got, let me see. What's I, I'm out turn 40. I just finished my 13th season with Pete, with, with Pete Pranica. And I told him definitely 10 more. Um, but, but he says we might as well, why not just get to 25? So I do 12 more years, 12 more years, maybe 10 to 12 more years on the TV. And that's it. I have no, no aspirations at this moment, uh, uh, to do much coaching, uh, uh, but that can change as you, as life moves on, because I do love to teach the game. I love, I like to be, I will, I would at some point like to be a part of the outcomes again of game. Right now, I'm not a party outcome. Right mm-hmm. now, I'm, I'm just a reactor to what right. happens. But I, w- I would like to, at some point, do it again. What role that may be, I don't know. But right now, I'm, I'm happy with working for six and a half months, golfing for five and a half months, uh, and then going back to work again. That's pretty good, man. Is that, that yeah, listen, I worked, hey, listen I, worked, I worked a lot of time. People were like, well, what's going to do next? Hey, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy life. Like, I... I I was blessed, and I thank the Lord every day. I was blessed to do uh, a, a play a sport that I loved, and and was able to financially take care of myself and my family. Uh, and, and I've done well with making sure I save that money, and I still have a great job. And so uh, I, I am. I'm just. I'm enjoying life, enjoying our kids growing up. We we they're all they're not kids anymore. Now we have our youngest. We'll be going off to Howard next year. Uh, so it's just the next, the next phase, next phase of life for us. Uh, a couple more questions. I, I heard you were a New York Giants fan. Is that true? Heavy, <laughs> heavy. I, I, listen, I tell people fans are nothing but nothing but fanatics cut short, and that's 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 what I am. I'm a fanatic of the New York Giants. <laughs> Do you want to address that? I've seen people picking them coming third in their division. I just want to give you a chance to address that before we get out of here. There's nothing that we have not known since for, for the duration of this organization. We've always been the underdog. We've always we won the Super Bowls as wild cards. We're not supposed to. It's, it's always been the not supposed to. And, and so the same mentality that I talked about, what it was in East Stars, New Jersey, a working class mentality, uh, that, that's what Dayball has brought back to the New York Giants. We are back in the mud again. We not we don't want to, I don't need to see 34 points a game. So I don't need to see that. What I need to see is 24. I need to see defense. We need to see, I don't care if it comes down to the last possession. The clock, that, that's New York Giants football. Right. And for so long, we have gotten away from just grimy New York football. And so big back offensive line looks good. Defensive line was already good last year. It's, it's, it's nice that we're able to get cornerbacks in the draft, be able to continue to be good. At the linebacker spot, I, I just – it's good to see New York Giants football again, not what the other coaches were trying to make New York Giants football become. And our old GM. Move on. <laughs> right. Like put get, – get back to Giants style. So it's what, it's, it's, what, it's, it's what has worked for years and ever since I have been watching New York Giants football. There's no need in changing what the pattern is. And last question before we let you go. What's something that Brevin now would tell 18-year-old Brevin? To work out more uh, mm. is the biggest thing. Uh, to, to take, I would say take your summers a lot more serious uh, than, I took, than, than I took summers at that time. And that every – I guess that would be the 21-year-old me. The 18-year-old me was already doing it. The 21-year-old me that after I made it, I would right. say to have the same conversation again with the 21-year-old. I had it with myself at 18. 
because Jason Kidd had the conversation. I need that 21. I need to have the same conversation with myself again because it was almost as if I made it. Right. But I had, but it was still so much more yeah. that I could have done. And I rested. I felt like I rested too much. Now, remember it says maximize what you do well. Mm. I felt like I rested too much on what I did well. And mm. I did not continue to work hard enough at what I did not do well. Because I, my goal was to make it to 10 years in the NBA. I don't care how, what, it was to get to 10 years so that I'm fully vested, 401k, fully vested in insurance, in terms of insurance for your family. All of that, that was my goal. I didn't care how many points. Uh, 10 years, I need 10 years of contracts in the NBA. And I think I, I, I went so hard at that end that I forgot about, in some way, what made me be who I was. Hmm. That's good words of advice for 21 year old you and 18 year old you you broke it down man <laughs> man listen a, a lot of life experiences have happened in those years in between those <laughs> <laughs> I bet uh, Reverend Knight my man thank you so much for stopping by the lounge oh man thanks for having me this was fun no, I appreciate you man you got open seat anytime and uh, we'll talk to you soon yes sir I'm around yes sir uh, thank you so much for stopping by the Legends Lounge, brought to you by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. Give us a follow on Twitter at NBA Legends Lounge. Be sure to subscribe and rate Legends Lounge on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.